You're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guests are Ari Wald, Doran Barnes, and Rupesh Parikh of Oppenheimer. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking. This episode was recorded on February 11, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this Market Roundtable episode of Let's Talk Future. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're here with three fantastic experts from Oppenheimer for this important discussion. We have Ari Wald, the Managing Director and Senior Analyst, providing technical analysis about the broader market and individual stocks and sectors. We have Duran Barnes, the Senior Managing Director and Global Head of Equities Trading and Distribution, providing invaluable insights into the market participants and flow dynamics. And we have Rupesh Parikh, the Managing Director and Senior Analyst covering consumer products, food, and grocery, sharing his insights into the consumer and preferences today. So with all of these perspectives, we should be able to hit on some of the most important determinants of where this market is heading. We're going to talk about the technical underpinnings of the market and what those indicators are signaling for the months ahead. We'll talk about the behavior of investors and the trading trends in this market. We'll discuss what the consumer is up to and what sectors are hot and which are not. Finally, we'll talk about some stocks that are worthy of attention. All of this should give our listeners a solid real-time analysis of today's somewhat confusing and very changeable market forces that are currently at work. So let's just jump in. And Ari, I'm going to start with you. As our technical analyst, you've been pretty constructive of late. Can you give us a broader context for that? Of course, Jane. Following one of the worst years in market history, We think a broadening list of stocks that are now moving to the upside, coupled with the right risk-on leadership, indicates market strength should continue in 2023. It's important to understand where the market is coming from. At the lowest points last year, sentiment polls had reached their most pessimistic level since March of 2009 and only 12% of NYSE stocks were trading above their 200-day average. If that's not capitulation, I don't know what is. So then something changed. The market stopped responding negatively to bearish headlines, and select industries started to reverse their decline. Now, we reported that the hallmarks of a major bottom had developed into that October low, And the strong start to this year is confirming what we see as new bull market activity that looks like it's still in its early inning. So we've discussed the S&P is positioned to climb the wall of worry to the 4,600 level, but it won't be a straight line higher either. Still, market behavior has changed. 2022 was a year where investors were paid to sell strength, and we expect 2023 to be a year 
Well, they'll, they'll be paid to buy weakness. Okay, so speaking of things not being in a straight line, Duran, I want to move on to you because you've been pretty verbal about the challenges in this current market, and you see what investors are doing on a real-time basis. How are these accounts behaving currently? I think it's a great point. I, I, what I love about Ari's work is this does set the groundwork for our investors to take a look and do the deep dive analysis. What I try and do is get real-time sentiment and behaviors. Things are moving so quickly these days. Just certain themes. Uh, at the end of the year, we talked about fixed income being a viable competitor to equities. Okay. But now we're a month in. And to Ari's point, like, you know, a, a floor has been put in technically, but, you know, actually from a sentiment standpoint, if you had jumped into fixed income and you felt, okay, the bond market was a good place for you to have a secure, safer return profile. What are you doing now when equities are up 10% to start the year? I'm really focused on the players and the composition and the construct of market structure. And what I'm hearing about how clients feel about that, our institutional clients and how they feel about that. So I think, look, right out of the gate, you have a lot of anxiety because people are really scratching their heads. Market continues to go higher when you've had $31 billion of selling of equities in the last six weeks. And in spite of that, what is the construct and how is that happening? And there are a lot of people in the mutual fund complex that are just sitting on a boatload of cash, but yet you have CTAs and also, of course, different types of hedge funds that need to cover. Or let's talk about the buybacks that are pretty significant out there in the equity markets, taking this market higher. And the higher it goes, the more FOMO or fear missing out that our customers are feeling. Okay, so Duran, you've mentioned some accounts that have been forced to cover short positions, and I want to stay on that for a second. Ari, does it take away from the strength of the rally if a fair amount of it is caused by short covering? It would be concerning if it was a, a short covering rally and participation was lacking. It was just being driven higher by a few stocks the mega caps, let's say, you know, leadership was still pointed risk off. But, you know, what we're seeing is a very broad based move with investors bidding up, you know, very cyclical areas of the market. So, uh, you know, how we see things is, is strength that should continue uh, rather than reverse in a meaningful fashion. And Duran, what about the fact that a couple of key constituencies seem to be somewhat missing in this rally? Insiders aren't buying and you've noted that mutual funds have still been pretty cautious. So what do you think about that? Well, look, I, I can make the case of what Ari is saying is that, the, you know, the, the dips are actually being bought for the first time in a while, and that is broader. So I think he makes a really good point there. But I think the institutional community is really, really um, underweight here on this move. And so even when you look at our largest, most popular hedge fund um, companies, uh, the hedge fund, excuse me, like the actual, you know, investment organizations are dabbling, but they feel like they need to catch some performance here on this leg up. But I'm not fully uh, buying into this move until the mutual fund complexes come in and show support for this market. Another bullish stance, though, is uh, we had a lot of ECM paper brought to market last week in the equity markets and actually were digested pretty well. 
Um, that's definitely something that's constructive and positive that we can look forward to. Certainly something we need to see is what is the appetite on liquidity events and what, what is the appetite on equity capital markets? And that's been better. Last week was a huge week for that. Okay. Well, Rupesh, let's transition to the consumer. You know, the consumer's been particularly hard hit by inflation. Coming out of the pandemic, we've seen some real new trends emerge. What's your assessment of the behavior of the consumer or the health of the consumer in this environment? Yeah, so I think the consumer is still very strong. Uh, You look at the latest jobs reading in the month of January, more than a half a million jobs created. Uh, You look at wage growth, you know, Walmart just recently announced another minimum wage increase for their employees. So as long as jobs and the wage outlook remain strong, I think the consumer continues will continue to do well. And I think what's happening today in the consumer landscape is consumers are shifting their spend. So good spending was very strong in 2020 and 2021. And then 2022, as people started going out again, travel picked up, services picked up. So you saw a shift in spending away from goods to services. And you know, so far, if you look at the holiday season and even into this year, I think you're seeing the same trends out there. So when you see the headlines out there about a weaker consumer as some of these retailers, I don't think that paints the right picture because spending is shifting. And if I look at the retailers that I cover and in general, some of the trends out there, you're still seeing pockets of strength. So beauty is one area that's very hot. Uh, the pet category. So the household population of pets has increased significantly during the pandemic and, and beyond. So you have a higher pet household population and then you know consumers uh, continue to treat their pets like humans. So I think that's continuing to drive more and more spend for the pet category. Um, so those are some areas that I think are really strong. But then on the other hand, things that people bought during the pandemic, consumer electronics, TVs, laptops, uh, all those kitchen appliances, really any any durable good with, with more than a fewer life um, is doing poorly right now. So I think that's where retailers continue to struggle. So Targets, Walmarts, and others continue to pull back on inventory as, a, as they're trying to, trying to figure out what the right demand is in this new environment. Um, so again, it's a mixed backdrop in terms of where consumers are spending, but I think that consumer overall is very healthy right now, even with all the pressures out there. So we're very focused on jobs and everything that I can see out there right now, it's a jobs backdrop is, is extremely strong. Well, it's good to hear that the consumer's healthy and that apparently their pets are too. Given these comments about the impacts of inflation, let's talk about the fight to tame inflation and the Fed. Ari, I know that you've looked at Fed tightening cycles and what this means and you know the good old mantra of don't fight the Fed. Where are we in this process? Yeah, sure. Fed tightening cycles have historically resulted in an increase in market volatility. And indeed, investors would have been wise not to fight the Fed in 2022. Now we think the mantra is becoming don't fight the tape, and rightfully so. Now we say this because history indicates Fed-induced volatility is volatility that should be bought and should not be viewed as a cautionary signal of a deeper downturn. Now we look back and after a yield curve inversion, the catalyst for a deeper sell-off has actually been a cut in Fed policy, most notably in January of 2001 and September of 2007, as central banks scramble to catch up to what's become an obvious deterioration in economic activity. That's not what's happening now. Instead, we see similarities to the late 1970s when the S&P was able to grind higher 
against aggressive central bank tightening and the Fed's commitment to break the back of inflation. Now, we've said it's the market dealing with the medicine while the inflationary virus gets wrung out of the system. And equities have been able to rise against this backdrop before. This seems to be a little bit of a different kind of cycle. You know, you have amplifiers that are out in the market that hadn't existed before. And Duran, you've talked a lot about this stuff, the influence of social media, the ability of accounts on a daily basis to see what stocks are moving, you know, the amplification of the announcements from the Fed. Duran, do you think that all of that results in a bit of a change this cycle around? I think that the difference in terms of flows and flow dynamics are you have people still very uncertain on the moves that they want to make. The reality is our customer base or institutional customer base cannot get it wrong to start the year. So we, we have to get through a period where there's some clarity. Our volumes are already dictating that A, people are using fixed income as another instrument and that they're utilizing that as it's capturing alpha. But B, they don't want to be wrong when they go and get very bullish in equities and make that commitment. For me, what I want to see is the mutual fund complexes actually make that step forward. The thing that makes it very complicated is when you have the opportunity set where you could definitely see what Ari's saying is the markets can enhance a very nice upward trajectory here over a period of time. So people jump in and then the worst thing that could happen is uh, the Fed's taking a victory lap on inflation and the data comes in hot again. And I love what Rapesh is talking about because Rapesh really touches is my favorite analyst because in the consumer, you get real data and the Fed is navigating and having difficulty understanding the consumer wages, employment. And so Rapesh's work is mission critical and very timely. But I think to your point, Jane, things are very, very rapid information sharing is quick. And the biggest thing is narratives on the markets are changing daily, not weekly, not you know half a year or not at a year at a clip. And I think until people can take a step back and breathe and understand what the rules are for our forward in the equity markets, I think you're gonna to continue to have these gyrations, volatility led by CTAs, led by you know those type of uh, hedge funds that are exacerbating moves rather than the fundamental stock pickers. Rupesh, going back to the consumer and those pockets of resilience, beauty, pets, how are those spaces looking in terms of valuation? And what are you seeing versus some of the other areas that are still kind of dangerous that you would avoid in here? Yeah, so we're very bullish right now in beauty. So Ulta Beauty, we raised our price target last week to $600. So Ulta is a one-stop shop for women to buy all their beauty products. And I'll tell you, this is one of the best beauty cycles I, you know, I've, I've potentially ever seen. So you look at makeup, skincare, fragrances, hair care, all are growing at very healthy levels. There's a lot of innovation out there, a lot of newness. And for a retailer such as Ulta Beauty, even after pretty significant sales gains the past few years, their traffic turned positive for the first time in their quarter ended October. So even after all these consumers have been buying beauty, you know, categories up double digits versus pre-pandemic, their store traffic only turned positive during the fall. So um, as we look forward in beauty, we think the innovation cycle continues going forward. And then retailers such as Ulta will continue winning new brands. So last year they, they won Olaplex. They got Fenty by Rihanna within their stores. So I think that's going to be a continued tailwind to that story. So I think beauty as you look forward is going to be very strong. 
And then the other area, you know, is, is just pet. So Chewy is one of our favorite names out, out there. Uh, we have a $50 price target and Chewy is really consolidating the entire pet category. So historically, they started in the food category, venture into hard goods and some of your pet beds and, and some of the toys in, in, in those areas. And now they're trying to get your spend in healthcare services. So if you want to buy pet insurance, you can buy that on Chewy. So I think over time, they become a much more formidable competitor to Amazon. And I think they end up being similar to what Costco is in the club channel. I think they end up being the leading player, just like Costco online within pet. So beauty and pet are our two favorite verticals. And as I mentioned earlier, consumer durable companies, so like the Helena Troys, Newell brands that we don't cover, Spectrum brands, those are some of the companies right now that are struggling as replacement cycles for some of these durable goods take a couple of years. So if you bought a coffee maker or um, a microwave, it's going to take a couple of years to wear down. So they're still in that, I, w- I would say early middle innings and, and still trying to lap the excess pandemic boom that took place really the past two years or so. I think you got to be very careful in where you look for the consumer and try to find where consumers are going to spend. And as I mentioned earlier, the consumer today is being very selective. And I think that's what's really making it more challenging in picking stocks is this is not your normal cyclical environment that investors are used to. And Ari, does that commentary jive with some of the charts that you look at, particularly in pet? I think you've been a bit more bullish on some of the more aggressive sectors in the market. What do you think? If you were to look at Rupesh's coverage and specifically the ideas that he rates as outperform, uh, there are a few that overlap favorably in our trend work. And of these, it's most worthwhile to mention Chewy because the stock is coming out of a textbook bottoming pattern. You know, as we tape this, shares are trading around $47. And we think upside into 60 is reasonable if market conditions continue to improve as we expect. Now, this would get back to levels where it was trading in December of 2021. Uh, in the meantime, for the traders out there, it's going to be important to uphold the 50-day average around $43. Now, in terms of overall portfolio construction, we're bullish on cyclical sectors that typically outperform in a rising market environment. So we're keen on offense over defense rather than, say, value versus growth. Now, our top sector ideas specifically are industrials, financials, and technology. So the recovery started in industrials and financials, which were first to reverse their decline and now sport uptrends that are firmly entrenched. Now, more recently, we're, we're also seeing strength broaden to the bear cycle's biggest laggards like technology, you know, which we've shown is consistent with action coming off prior major lows like 2003 and 2009. So within tech, we're especially upbeat on semiconductor stocks, which provide an attractive source of cyclicality. And after a difficult 2022, there are prior downtrends across the industry. Duran, does that fit with what you're seeing in terms of investor behavior? Are you seeing some of our bigger accounts dabbling in the bigger tech names? Yeah, um, I think that they're dabbling, but they're not really making a full-fledged commitment. I mean, your mega cap tech names have huge buybacks, and that's really great for the street to see that there's an underlying bid there. You can kind of feel that. I want to go back to Rapesh's comment on Chewy and Ari working together on that. That's a perfect example, though, of fundamentally Rapesh being right on a name or looking at a name and technically how it scores with Ari. But, you know, in one day, it could move 13%. That's the kind of weird gyrations we've been getting. They're, they're called factor rotations. So a couple of weeks ago, 
Uh, Jane, the last time we were on the game, there was a huge factor rotation. This factor rotation was all winners from last year, got flipped over, and there was an upside-down trade, and people were forced to take down risk. And that was the huge move in the volumes all in a day-and-a-half period. That's a great opportunity to Ari's point about a long-term fundamental play in the equity markets and Rapesh on his name. You marry all that. The difference that I'd say now is historically in the last year, that bloodbath that you would see in one day would be exacerbated and it would go lower. This year, it's being bought on the dip. There, you're seeing little signs of that, which is very constructive. So when you marry all this work together, it really helps us educate our client base. And I think you need to look at investing in that way. You might fundamentally be right. You might be a portfolio manager that knows the company top to bottom, but you must understand the structure that's changed in this marketplace and take advantage of it when the opportunity presents itself. Well, that's right. And you use the words marrying all this together. That's exactly what we tried to do here with you three illustrious guests on this podcast. So I hope we can do this again because it's just great to be able to draw on the perspectives of you three together in one forum. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode. And remember to subscribe today. Join our community and expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.